Welcome to Recovery Devon Podcasts. We're a community interest company working to support mental health recovery in Devon. Our podcasts invite people with ideas of all kinds which explore mental health and what it means to be fully human. So uh, welcome to another Recovery Devon podcast. We've got five people in the room today, which just goes to show how popular this subject is. We're talking about comedy today and how humour can help with mental health. So perhaps start with a round of introductions. I think we all know James. Do you want to kick off, James? Say hello. Yeah, uh, I don't want to kick off. That wouldn't be very funny at all. But um, but yeah, uh, hi, I'm James. I'm uh, uh, in charge of Recovery Devon, although I use the term loosely. And uh, I also work with Devon Clinical Commissioning Group. So I'm pretty much the only comedian on the governing body. Yeah, I've got a long history of using mental health services over the years. I prefer the phrase service avoider to service user. I've spent most of my life trying to avoid being caught unsuccessfully, although being military trained, I do escape quite regularly. So uh, that's one of my fortes. Yeah, that's me. Very interested in the theme of comedy and mental health. I think it's got so much to offer in terms of putting things into perspective. And my mum's on record as having said that if it weren't for my sense of humour, I probably wouldn't be here. Yeah, that's me. Thanks, James. Maggie, let's hear from you. Oh, hi. Yeah, I'm a teacher. I am a lecturer. I lecture and teach at Marjon University on the PGC drama course. I was lecturing at Winchester University on the stand up and writing comedy course last year. I, I do supply teaching, but I essentially run a company as well, Dr. Maggie Irving Comedy Matters, and I teach stand up comedy, uh, clowning, character comedy. I'm a doctor as well, but um, I don't check chests and pulses, uh, well, not regularly anyway. So, yeah, I, I became a, a doctor by studying what it is to be a woman and a clown, which I, I did at Plymouth University. Yeah, so my specialism is clowning and I love it. So, Fitz, do you want to say hello? Hello. Yeah, my name's Fitz. I am a stand-up comedian slash events organiser. I have been doing comedy for nearly a decade, which, as I say the words out loud, terrifies me. Yeah, I am really kind of fascinated by the topic of our discussion today. It's something that I think is very, very powerful, and um, I'm really looking forward to, to getting stuck in. And as I say, thank you, for, thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure, Fitz. Thanks for coming along. And finally, we've got Bryn in the room. Hi, Bryn. Hello, I'm uh, just more of a comedy fan than uh, anything else and uh, I know Maggie and I know Fitz from going to various things around East Devon and Exeter. Thank you Bryn and a special thank you to Bryn because it was Bryn who brought the idea of a comedy podcast to Recovery Devon and uh, invited everybody who's currently in the Zoom room today. I suppose I should say who I am. I'm M Flint. I'm community development worker for Recovery Devon. I've got no connection with comedy at all, apart from being a huge appreciator of it. And I guess a good place to start is to ask each of you how you discovered comedy and made it a part of your life. I think I've always had a sense of humour and bearing in mind that the sense of humour is born out from your cultural and social background. I think I might have been a class clown. I certainly talked a lot. So yes, I've always had a kind of sense of humour and I, I went into a business or worked and then I had my children. And then as my children sort of started to hit preschool, I thought, what should I do? What should I do with my life now? So I went on this, uh, it was an East Devon District Council run course called New Directions for Women. So it was all about helping women back into education or uh, work. It's a strange thing having children, you sort of, you're 
lose a lot of confidence actually in the workplace. So, so I did this fantastic course for 10 weeks and during it, I thought I'd like making people laugh statement and I like teaching statement. And those two things I wrote down and I thought, oh, I've trained to be a drama teacher. So in order to become a drama teacher, you had to have a degree and I didn't have a degree because I left school at 16. You could in those days, remember? So I thought I'd do a degree, then do a PGCE. And on the second module of this degree course at Plymouth University was clowning. And it was one of those topics that, you know, it was like, go in and make us laugh. And, <laughs> and I loved it. Oh, I'm good at this. I like this. So as I came to, to do my dissertation, my BA dissertation, I thought, oh, let's do one on female clowns because I've become very interested. And there was nothing in the clown canon, excuse the punning, there was nothing there that nobody had written about women and clowning. There was all, you know, a history of men, him, he all the time and um, after that oh yes I did my PGC and I got funded to do a part-time MA by the Arts and Humanities Research Council and then I got funded to do a, a PhD a practices research PhD on becoming a female clown so I, I love it and it's yeah it's a great life good gracious if someone said they're going to be a clown are you going to be a clown I mean you just don't know and when you talk clown I don't mean I don't mean a circus clown at all but what I mean is like finding that inner clown and and how you use the skill of the clown to create mirth never in a million years did I think I was going to end up doing what I do but it's been a real pleasure to be honest I I love it and I love teaching the art I love teaching it and I love doing it so um, I'm in a very happy place I think Em yeah that's lovely to hear and I've got the most lovely mental picture now of somebody going into a careers workshop and saying I'm going to be a clown and just the, the face of a smart Thai person <laughs> interesting comedy or saying you're a comedian because I sometimes it doesn't have the gravitas um, in fact you know when I was at school you I think the things where you, you could be a journalist a nurse typist but the comedian has it struggles with that status and what, what fascinates me about comedians is that they do a lot of jobs on the television. They present a lot of programs because I think when you're trained to be a comedian, you're trained to be a great improviser and you can make people laugh. And if you can make people laugh, you're going to make people love you. And if they love you, they love the program. You take the Bake Off program, you take most quiz shows. A lot of comedians who are fronting programs, a lot of people who are standing up on stage as speakers and, and including humor in their work they're going to be listened to. They're going to be liked and listened to. It's a fantastic skill, but it kind of doesn't have the status that some other topics and subjects have. That's, that's how I feel. I'd be interested to know what other people think. Yeah, so I'm fascinated to hear from Bryn and Fitz now about whether comedy was a, a definite career choice or a passion or, I don't know, Fitz, how did, how did it start for you? Great question, to be honest. I mean, I've always been a comedy fan. Um, growing up, I had access to lots of videos of Billy Connolly and people like that. And I just remember absolutely crying with laughter at some of the, the sketches that he was doing, him and others, of course. And I must admit, I kind of just assumed that you either had it or you didn't in terms of being a comedian. And I, I didn't think I had it you know and then I so I grew up in Sidmouth um, and then moved away to Bath and it was a couple of years after I'd been in Bath and I went along to a comedy night and I saw comedians in inverted commas and the reason I say that is because they were on stage and and that was kind of it there weren't many laughs and and I thought okay well I'm pretty sure that I could get on stage and, and not get any laughs and so I found a gig did it 
I, I could go on stage and not get any laughs. But the the main thing was that I absolutely, I just fell in love with it, you know, and there was a real moment of kind of the penny dropping and me thinking, right, okay, well, I don't have an innate skill, you know, I, I, I'd look at people like Michael McIntyre and it's so difficult because it's such a broad spectrum of, of comedians, but for the huge well-known people that comedy fans or non-comedy fans maybe w- will have heard of, you know, you look at them as some kind of, or I looked at them as some kind of aspirational thing, whereas actually what they've done is they've they've learned a little bit about how a joke works the structure behind a joke and and clearly have practiced which is what it's all about but yeah so I did that and very quickly realized that it was something that I really loved and just wanted to do more and more that led me to discovering the the circuit as it were and in the last decade or so I've been really lucky you know I've I've gigged at anything as extravagant as Glastonbury Festival and as at the opposite end of the spectrum to a room in Edinburgh with two people, you know, one of whom had no idea that they were even at a comedy gig. Um, and <laughs> yeah, they, they didn't really know what was going on. But yeah, it was, it was always an area that kind of fascinated me, an industry that fascinated me. And as I've, I suppose, worked in it for the time that I have, albeit not so much at the moment, clearly, what, we've, what we can only describe as 2020. But yeah, it's, uh, it's a real passion point and it's something that I'm, I'm really kind of proud to, to be able to do. And um, Maggie touched on it wonderfully, which is just being able to go to a room, meet people you've never met before. And in some cases, I, I really enjoy it. I look quite like a challenge. So I love it when the room is quite, not hostile, but what most acts would describe as kind of a difficult room. And if you go on there and you do really well, there isn't a better feeling in terms of performing to my mind at least thanks Fitz. I, i'm really glad you've talked about the um the journey into stand-up um i remember going to my first proper comedy club in bristol and just feeling terrified for these people that were getting up and having a go at stand-up there was a sort of open mic night where some people were having their first or second try mm. there was one guy that got up and I, I was sitting quite close to the front and i could see his hand shaking as he was holding onto the microphone and having some really difficult hecklers it's like the the hecklers had more experience of a comedy night than he seemed to be standing up on the mic I went with my brother and about 10 years later I was watching would I lie to you and suddenly there was this guy like 10 years later hosting on the panel and it was Russell Howard Um, and and so I phoned up my brother and said turn on BBC2 you never guess who's on the BBC hosting a comedy show and we were like he was the last person that night sorry Russell if he ever gets to listen to this but based on that night he was like the um uh, not the warm-up act but the one that came on straight after so he was the real beginner right all the people we saw that night we never would have guessed that he would be the one to go on but it just goes to show how um you know, honing your craft and having the courage to keep going can lead to great things so it's, it's a really really great point because uh, as you, you kind of hit the nail on the head there in, in that when you start you know you are literally a sponge you know you very very few people go on stage for the first time and absolutely smash it for people like Russell Howard who clearly have gone on to mass success the beauty of stand-up comedy is that they will have done hundreds and hundreds of gigs in little rooms they'll have traveled for miles and miles to to go and in some cases do horrendously but they're the ones that you learn the most from for sure that's a nice story thank you 
So Bryn, how about you? Would it be fair to say that you're quite new to comedy or just an emerging comedian? How would you describe yourself? I wouldn't say I'm an emerging comedian by any means at all. I mean, I've, I've done classes with Maggie before and I've, I've, know, I've known Dan since we grew up in the same town. I remember when I was really, really young, I was probably say about 10 or 11, walking in Exeter with my parents and walking past the Barnfield Theatre and seeing a poster in the window for stand-up uh, comedy classes and actually saying to my parents, I would love to try that. It's always something I've really wanted to try. I also used to, like Fit said earlier on, I used to watch a lot of stand-up uh, live videos, DVDs. From Even when I was a young kid, I used to steal my parents' DVDs and videos. Hopefully they don't hear that. Uh, I used to steal them and watch them when people were out and make notes in books and stuff and write them down. I had like joke ideas in it and stories and anecdotes and things, but I've never really used them. I've always wanted to do stand-up, but I couldn't or tried to try to but I was always really conscious of doing it as myself. And I found it easier to write it from a character's perspective. And I, I, could, also, I could obviously use how I actually feel about certain things, but I found it easier to write it as me being a character instead of just me being a person. Yeah. On behalf of Bryn, he was rocking the screen last night in class. So keep at it. Keep at it. Because Maggie, you're running a course at the moment, aren't you? Uh, I am, yeah. What's that course yeah. called? Uh, Stand-up comedy, writing and performing. It's a great class, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Remember in Zed, he was just funny, funny, funny last night, so yeah. <laughs> James, is that something you fancy a go at, stand-up comedy class? Do you know, I, I kind of, I, I always call my, um, when I'm talking at a conference, I, I kind of call it a gig rather than a booking or anything like that. So one of the things I try and do whenever I'm asked to speak to a group of people, and some of those groups have been 400 you know, in size, so they've been big groups. And one of my always ambitions is to get a laugh within the first 30 seconds. And I always think if I can do that, then I'm on the right track. But just going back to comedy in general, I guess I'm someone who has always appreciated the therapeutic benefits of kind of belly laughs, you know, just when you're when you're laughing so much that your ribs hurt, you know, your ears pop, you've got tears coming out your eyes, snot coming out your nose, you just, you almost lose yourself in that moment. And um, there is nothing that I find releases endorphins better, really, than that kind of comedy. And, and we've talked about a few comedians, and I, th I think one who, who particularly hits the spot for me is, is Peter Kay. He's just got a very gentle humour in a way, but very observational and very astute. And also, as Fitz said, he's honed his craft to such a point and practised so much that when he puts together a show, it's just laugh after laugh. And um, so as well as the kind of therapeutic benefits, I think I, I personally use comedy a lot in my storytelling. The stories I've told have often been about my own experiences through mental health services very often because I've you know, worked in that field for a while. And I find that um, comedy kind of balances out the dark moments. You know, there are different aspects to comedy as well. And I think what I found works best for me personally is the kind of self-deprecating comedy. So I'm trying to get people to laugh kind of with me and maybe at me a little bit as well. But at some of the crazy things I've done, and I, I try and describe them in a way that people see the amusing nature of them, even if they've come at a crisis time in my life. 
it's not so much about getting people on board, but it's about getting people to connect, isn't it? A lot of comedy is about the relationship you have with the people you're, who your audience. And um, I, I think comedy can help break down those barriers. But that said, you kind of got to keep it appropriate. There's, um, a lot of people can take offence quite easily. And, and the subject of mental health is, is a tricky one sometimes to get right. There are perhaps things that you really wouldn't want to be joking about uh, for good reason. And uh, the last thing I want to do is um, give a talk and have people walk away upset by something I've said. That said, it's very difficult sometimes to know what's going to upset people. I suppose one other thing that I'd, I'd say about comedy is that it, it appears in all sorts of situations. Um, I mean, mental health is the arena perhaps we're, we're looking at a little bit today. But um, even amongst my friends who who aren't connected in any way to mental health, I was just reading a post this morning on someone's someone's uh, timeline on Facebook, and they'd shown a picture of a Terry's chocolate orange on the shelves, saying that they shouldn't be reduced to a pound because it's going to cause, you know, it's going to cause a run on Terry's chocolate oranges, and they shouldn't be that price. It's too tempting. And someone had put underneath as a comment that he had a friend uh, who was quite deluded that he believed he was a Terry's chocolate orange. And this chap was quite concerned. He, he was worried he was going to get sectioned. <laughs> it took me a while, but I got there in the end. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, and James, I can, I can really vouch for what you're saying about using comedy in your work, because I've been at many an event with you and uh, often some of our open events, uh, people turning up to talk about mental health maybe for the first time and, the, and you can feel that little bit of nervousness in the room you know you're in a room full of strangers and you're going to address the subject of mental health and then you'll open usually with a nice gentle joke about the weather or the traffic or something you know you can just see everybody's you know shoulders go down and they go oh it's not as serious and scary as we thought or amongst friends and there's something about that physical movement of laughter as well that kind of shakes you and relaxes you so um to set the scene for the next bit of our chat, I just want to tell another comedian story. I went to see Ruby Wax a few years ago, who was doing her Sane New World tour. So that was when she was making her transition from comedian to a sort of mental health expert and marrying the two together. And she just released this book, Sane New World, which was all about neurotransmitters and her study of those. So the first half of the show was her talking about different neurotransmitters and giving them personalities and adding a lot of comedy to um, situations where your neurotransmitters might be out of whack. And then the second half was a Q&A and some of the kind of great and good of Exeter and Devon had turned up to talk psychology and to talk about neurology as well. So during the Q&A, I thought I have a question for Ruby um, and I was really nervous and I stood there waiting for Ruby to notice and give me my turn. And my anxiety was rising, but as she was answering questions, she was making people laugh. And I did notice every time she made everyone laugh, my anxiety would just vanish. It would drop down to the floor and then we'd go on to a series and my anxiety would rise again. So that was interesting watching this falling and rising of anxiety. And my question for Ruby was, which neurotransmitters do we think are involved in making us laugh? And actually she couldn't answer it, um, which is no reflection on Ruby. You know, I put her on the spot a little bit, but she opened the question up to the floor and we had a couple of um, you know, experts, um, in uh, neurologists and psychiatrists and things um, down in the expensive seats at the front and none of those could answer it either and it just it made me think maybe humour is a bit of an under-researched area when it comes to mental health so a question to everybody is what why do we laugh have we got any idea what this very human function does for us I'm, I'm 
almost certainly the least qualified to answer this, but I think from a kind of basic human reaction, my understanding of it is that obviously when you smile, when you laugh, you release endorphins. So that kind of, that physically makes one feel better. So I, my, my background is in sales. So I've always kind of worked in sales and from quite a kind of early stage in my career, I was told like, smile while you dial. And and it's 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 properly cheesy, but um, at one point I I was also a door-to-door salesman. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was commission only, and I would work very long hours, sometimes for zero money and sometimes for lots of money. And the one thing that I remember taking away from that was the power of of like a smile, in terms of how people see you, how people perceive you, but but most importantly how you kind of feel as as a person, I guess. And so as a comedian looking out on stage, it's really weird. If, if you're in a, a theater, say with 300 people, you can almost guarantee every comedian will find their eyes drawn to the one person that isn't laughing. For some reason, for whatever reason, you always tend to notice the, the, the people that aren't laughing. But uh, I did a comedy course as well. I'd, I'd love to have a chat with you, Maggie, and find out more about, about yours. But, you know, one of the things that, um. that we were, I'd love to. <laughs> I mean, one of the things is kind of, um, you know, laughter exercises. And there's quite often sitcoms where they have like a, a boss. I'm thinking of The Office. I think I'm pretty sure it happens in the American version of The Office, where they do literally kind of like laugh at each other to try and get those reactions going. I know that there is a physical kind of actual chemical reaction that happens with a laugh. I can say as well that as a comedian, there is a a, a similar reaction when you make others laugh. I mean, it's essentially a social function, isn't it? Although it has impacts on our own wellness, though that necessarily isn't, it's more nuanced than that. It's more complex than that. Um, I think the social dimension, which you're talking about, that you create connections with people and you raise spirits is very relevant but it's also uh, could be a status changer a good stand-up comedian's got very high status on stage a good clown high status but they're playing low status so mm-hmm. they're playing low status in order to get the last somebody getting the last they raise their status and I, I suppose similarly if you're a boss in a company who maybe you know i'm a funny man and people might laugh along so there's maintaining a, a kind of status then um you're creating a relationship with someone you know the, there's the idea that you know the, the gsoh the good sense of humor uh we all like somebody with a gsoh a good sense of humor because we don't want the mdsb the miserable desperate sad b basket <laughs> Probably not appropriate on this program is it but um you know we laugh along with people sometimes we laugh because we're nervous we laugh because we're frightened it's not there's no joke being said but it's just a response to trying to cope and i think it's like um if you're laughing you're producing the endorphins and therefore you're raising your spirits so there's that kind of aspect as well that sometimes we laugh involuntary i think freud said it was a defense mechanism but that he was writing at a time in the 19th century where you know humor was viewed a little bit differently and then there's different types of humor there's aggressive humor isn't there's banter and sarcasm and and some people respond really well to that. And some people find it very offensive. Mm-hmm. Um, self-deprecation, I, you know, I kind of say, if you do clown, do self-deprecation. But that actually can be actually not very good for the mental health. If you're told to kind of uh, focus on your foibles and your flaws, you know, I would say this is you, but some people don't want to go down that route. There's some research around that self, I can't remember what it's called, self-enhancing. And I, and I really like this. It's when... People comment on the externals of the world, the incongruities of life. 
there's different types of humor, isn't there? And, and, you know, when I hear banter, banter's fine if you know everybody and everybody knows, but sometimes banter can be really quite cruel. So it's not so simple, isn't it? Just because we're having a laugh, who's, who's at the end of the joke? I think in my comedy classes, I say anything goes in the comedy classes. It, it might not be acceptable, but if you're asking people to speak off the cuff, off the top of the head, stuff might come out that is culturally coming from way back. And I think, I think on one level that's okay because we can address it. So I think in a way it's a very healthy way of people perhaps sometimes addressing things which aren't healthy. Mm. Why do we laugh? Mm. It's funny. (laughs) (laughs) Funny, I'm going to have a laugh. Yeah, I'm thinking of comedians that I've really enjoyed who have made me laugh by addressing a sort of elephant in the room, a taboo topic maybe. Yeah, that kind of dark and gallows humour. I think one of the funniest places that I've ever been to, funniest workplaces that I've ever been to, was the scenes of crime office. My first job was with the police as a civvy. We used to go on attachment to all the different departments to learn about them. And so it was that I spent a few days in the scenes of crime office and it was around Christmas time. And as you walked up to the scenes of crime office, it was a bit like Santa's Grotto. They had covered every available surface in tinsel and these ridiculous, cheesy, happy Christmas messages. And to get into the scenes of crime office, they had this big light up doorbell which was the virgin mary and when you pressed her tummy it played jingle bells it was like cheese tastic <laughs> but and they and yet these people were dealing you know they were the first on the scene at some really difficult things and that and they were the the rudest most inappropriate we're going back a long way now so <laughs> you know i i I, say, I quite often say you need to have the tragedy you don't need to but out mm-hmm. of tragedy comes comedy and yeah. i think uh, a lot of nurses soldiers it's, a, it's cathartic, isn't it? Being able to flip it over. And one of the things I do is how we flip the flip test, go for something you hate into, create it into something that you love. Or yeah. it's very, um, it's good to talk about it, good to storytell. And, and it, it softens the edges, doesn't it? I'm not saying it softens the edges permanently, but it can help. Yeah, I think, it, I think it's often used as a function to help people deal with the kind of unspeakable and the very, very difficult things. Um, comedy can just, yeah. Ease that yeah, burden. People like Joe Brand, who was a bit of a hero of mine, in back in the eighties, was talking about periods and sanitary towels, and and I was sat there going, "Ooh, <laughs> oh, that's a bit, ooh," because <laughs> yeah. you know you're brought up in a household where you're told to hide everything away because it was all wrong and bad, and opening up on topics that have been taboo in the past. This is normal, folks. This is what our bodies do, yes. and it's a bit annoying at times. But <laughs> <laughs> if we can find the laughter in it. Yeah. then that's really healthy yeah. it's just a body it's a body it's a body that does these uh, has these functions doesn't it but she again she, she did a lot of self-deprecation did victoria wood especially mm-hmm. in her early days i think in her later years she kind of dropped all all that and um, so yeah anyway i talk a lot yeah victoria wood reminds me a bit of um peter Kay as well that kind of gentle humor of poking fun at people, but very much laughing alongside them. I'm thinking of things like Dinner Ladies and Acorn Antiques, you know, that all these real figures of fun, but you never felt there was any animosity there. It was like an affectionate sort of humour that you could stand, like, be alongside for. It's taken quite a while for women to, you know, hit the big sort of shows, haven't they? You know, only in the last 10 years have we had a bit more equality on like game shows, but, it, you know, we're getting there, but it's kind of slow, slow and painful. <laughs> I think the um, the the acts that you mentioned there, you know, Joe Brand is is known for kind of trailblazing, you know, not being not being afraid to to talk about 
things like that has has led to so many other women feeling feeling confident and feeling able to to do that and there are so many kind of women that I know who 100% wouldn't have started doing stand-up wouldn't have even considered it were it not for you know Joan Rivers people like that and Joe Brand so very important point Joan Rivers amazing I can't remember how long she was performing for was it 40 years 50 Um, years I think it was 50 years several unfortunately though several facelifts facelifts Because she knew that, unfortunately, she thought or knew or felt, I'm not quite sure, that if she didn't, she might not get the gigs, which is rather sad and and reflects the society in which that she was working in. Have any of you seen the um, TV programme, The Marvellous Mrs Maisel? Um, a woman in the 50s whose husband is kind of an open mic stand-up comedian and he goes out to a few gigs and she follows him and she makes notes and she's very studious and then one day her and her husband have uh, a bit of a problem and she ends up going on stage drunk and before you know it she's a flipping brilliant stand-up comedian and it's, it's really well worth watching it's also kind of so obvious throughout and it's it's done really well but people are rude to her you know people are you shouldn't be doing this 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 is unbelievable and in her case most of the time she's very good at kind of putting them down when i was doing the research they were talking about laughter and the power uh, of laughter and i talked a little bit earlier about status for, for years and years and years was this oh women aren't funny women aren't funny women aren't funny yawn but it's like, interesting because if you're funny you've got power it's interesting that what power you gain that people listen to you i mean if you take something like boris johnson the power he's he's gained by being funny whether you like him or not mm. people might vote for you yeah there's something about so sharing a laugh with somebody whether it's with them or at them kind of puts you on their side the clown knows that that they they know that they're playing they know what they're doing Uh, the clown is the voice of the people because he speaks for the little man the man with no voice and and sort of back in medieval times in the clowns and in the town squares it was that you know they come and deliver the news they were the newspaper Uh, but you have the scary clown in the bond movies you have this fantastic uh, heath ledger stealing the show from batman by a long shot evil as can be but brilliantly funny so it's quite interesting, isn't it, how the the role of the clown and comedy can dominate and can win win people over. I'm glad you brought up the Joker because that's a, a sort of comedy or a sort of laughter that I hadn't thought about, that kind of evil laugh. Yeah, clown, there's like the, you've got the trickster, the joker, the jester, the buffoon, there's all these different, uh, the fool, and they're all nuanced differently. That, that, that function of trying to usurp and change power and and be slightly ridiculous and naughty but essentially uh create change or create a way of thinking new way of thinking yeah it sounds like a position of some power the way you're describing it Maggie. It is, but that's the process of learning isn't it but i think you know if you're enjoying it you've got a good chance that the audience would enjoy it as well hit the nail on the head yeah absolutely um i i quite often get asked by newer acts for advice or, or pointers or, or whatever it might be and that is generally one of the first things that I will say is one of two things is what I tend to say. Number one, remember that the audience want you to succeed. Well, there is an example which I'll share, um, if I may, which is not so, um, not so. But the two things that I would say normally are the audience want you to succeed. And if you're having fun, they're having fun. The, the example of uh, a gig where perhaps they're not so interested in you succeeding is I don't know if you're familiar with um, a gong show. 
Um, but a gong show basically is, uh, and the most famous is King Gong at the Comedy Store in London. Uh, and I've, I've done it before. And essentially the premise is that you get up to five minutes and if you get uh, so audience members have a red card three random audience members have a red card if all three put a red card up that's it you're gone the time where i did it i was maybe fourth on the bill about 400 uh, people in there on a monday night absolutely beside themselves with alcohol and rage and uh, it was like a gladiatorial arena i've never known anything like it and i hadn't been a comedian very long uh, and it's, it's one of those I, I touched on earlier on. The tough gigs are, are the ones that you learn the most from. Yeah, it was, it was certainly an interesting experience. And I actually got to four minutes 58 before being gonged off. Oh. I was absolutely fuming, uh, as you can imagine. <laughs> oh, it sounds like quite a fun game, actually. Can you get to the five minutes? So to stop with two seconds to go, you must have been gutted. <laughs> It's it, it really was. And I knew I was close, but it was when I got to that point, they said, oh, four minutes, 58. I mean, I got a red card really early on. And the day before, I'm a big football fan and um, Man United were playing Liverpool. This may well get cut, by the way, but um, Man United were playing Liverpool and um, Steven Gerrard came on at half time and got a really early red card. Where the day after I was at the comedy store, someone gave me a really early red card and I went hang on mate that's a bit early what, what, who are you Stephen Gerrard unfortunately it bought me loads of kind of time because I, I thought quite quickly off the cuff um but yeah it's an interesting atmosphere but most of the time most gigs that you do as a comic they want you to succeed there we go yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think there's something in um that wonderful word schadenfreude you know like taking a bit of pleasure in watching somebody else's discomfort um and uh, I was reminded when you were explaining what a gong show is all about of a show I used to watch in the 80s called Showtime at the Apollo. And they had like a, a what would you call it, amateur section where people could come up and do anything. They could do comedy, they could sing a song, they could dance. And they had this kind of jester character who would measure what, whether the audience was enjoying the act. And he would appear and he was dressed up a bit like a tramp in rags and he had a, a stick and he'd sort of appear at the side of the stage and start jigging about um, if the act wasn't going so well and it was and the, the audience would really en sort of enjoy that moment when it flipped from this person's doing okay to actually we can't stand this song or this this act and uh, yeah it was all part of the fun. I think I think they used to do that didn't they on that um, not Britain's Got Talent but I think in the early days I thought they set people up for people to laugh at them I thought it was quite cruel. Mm. Yeah, you, you, they, they knew they weren't any good. So they were just going to put them on stage for people to just laugh at them because they were so awful. And I, and I just thought that was dreadful. I thought I thought they look after their mental health after that because... It's a whole um, industry phenomenon, actually. Ben Elton wrote a book on it, the, the name of which escapes me. It might be Chart Throb. Um, but it's around kind of the X Factor phenomenon. Um, and I actually, uh, little known fact, I actually applied for the X Factor a few years ago. Okay. And um, uh, I'm not the best singer in the world, but I did all right. And there were, I got through to a few stages, but there were some people who were far better at singing than I will ever be, who were just, no, not interested, you're, you're not coming through. And there were some who were horrendous, you know, not, not good singers at all, but clearly had a bit of comedy kind of value and and they were chosen you know and it's it's a it's a cruel world and uh, the the book again i think it's the chart throb but it's it's, a, it's an interesting phenomenon hearing all of these stories about the dedication that it takes to stick with it and come through some of these difficult experiences um to establish yourself as a comedian 
um, I'm guessing that you don't go into it unless you absolutely love it um, and unless humour and comedy do a lot for you as a person and you gain a lot from having laughter in your life. Yeah, I think it's a really good question, actually, Em. Uh, I mean, because if you're a comedian or you write comedy, or it doesn't mean to say that you're, you're fun, you're, every, every day is a laugh, every day is filled with joy and, and humour and bon mot. Mo. You know, you, we're, we're, we're just the same as everybody else, highs and lows, highs and lows. And I think for me, and, and to, be, to be mindful, because I think if you've done something where you, you've got a big kick out of being... Uh, had a great gig and you've been up there on a real high the, the chances are that you, you're going to slide down and I think that, that, that life is that pattern of ups and downs isn't it whatever you do and I think it's about looking after yourself so I think I've got to the point that if I know that I'm coming I've come down and I do come down I've got this little phrase I say it'll be all right by next Tuesday yeah it's just telling myself that it's this temporary and and being really mindful of using strategies to raise my spirits. And that might mean chatting to a friend. Uh, it, it might mean watching a video, a funny, something funny, literally deciding to watch something funny for about 20, 25 minutes. Because once you've done that level of laughing, the, the endorphins are pumping around and it just changes your mood. I, I was just going to say, Maggie, it's also kind of a, a unique vocation in many ways in that, as a as a gigging comedian you know you could very feasibly be driving hundreds of miles on your own late at night to a gig and that gig could go really well which is brilliant or that gig could not go so well which isn't so brilliant and i love the thing that you said earlier which was um it'll be all right by next tuesday you know that's such a great attitude to have and and sarah millican has invoked this kind of unofficial law which is millican's law and and whether you have a good gig or a bad gig you have to forget about it by midday the next day so whatever happens it's done you know and that has a really positive effect on on many acts that i know um who have been uh, you know open enough to to share their kind of struggles i guess with with mental health and the the fact that you have until midday the next day means that you can stew over it a little bit if, if it didn't go so well, or you can celebrate it a little bit if it did go so well. But if you celebrate it beyond that point, then your next gig won't be as good because you'll be big headed and you'll think, well, and likewise, if you think too much about it in the negative, it's going to have a, a negative impact on, on that next gig. Yes, great, actually, Fitz. And, and I also think that if there's another little strategy that if it doesn't go well, laughing to yourself, usually when I'm doing things and, and, and the first time I do them, they usually don't go very well. They usually, I usually mess up, I would say. It doesn't go as well as I'd like. And that's normal, isn't it? And next time they do a couple more steps and this is, oh, this is looking good. Hey, let's try this again. And I think that idea that the first time we do something, whatever it is, and with stand-up comedy you can have a great gig can't you and then you go off and do it somewhere else and he, and he goes oh that didn't go so well did it it's, a, it's again a great point though because actually when um the notion of who to blame uh if it's a blame game you know is that's a really interesting point because most people who would blame the audience you know you can only control what you can control ultimately and you can control your reaction to something so but yeah I think the the number one thing that that helps me if I have a tough gig or a tough day or whatever is just to a remember to jump on the horse another time um, but b 
you there are only certain things you can control you know you can't control if someone in the audience has had too much to drink or if they've had a bad day or you know you can't control lots and lots of things but you can mm-hmm. control how you react to it you can control how you react to it i'm going to write that down i like that even though i'm nowhere near a comedian i'm going to be using that one and definitely <laughs> um you know think, think about it next tuesday and I, and I love the uh only being allowed to stew on something until noon the next day. I'll be taking that away with me. I, I just wanted to clarify one thing. I did describe myself as a comedian on the governing body earlier, and I, I'm not really a comedian. I'm just someone who tells the odd funny line, really. <laughs> so I uh, just wanted to clarify that. But also, there's something about um, comedy and tragedy, uh, but I mean tragedy in the comedian's lives, that, it, that sort of gets hidden by their comedy. And um, as this is... Uh, a podcast on mental health and comedy, I think it's worth mentioning that there's been a number of comedians over the years or comics or comic actors who have had quite tragic personal lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one that comes to mind is Tony Hancock, um, who was a brilliantly funny guy, uh, but tragically his life was cut short. And also um, more recently, Robin Williams, for example. And I, I, think, I, I think we ought to acknowledge that some people use comedy as a way of overcoming some tragedy in their own personal lives or or the way they feel about themselves so I think being a comedian you adopt a different persona Uh, you become someone different to who you are perhaps normally for some not for all Um, and I guess that enables someone to step into a new character and um, step away from perhaps some of the, the anxieties or the, or the uh, trauma that they've experienced. Two people that are springing to mind for me straight away. One is Spike Milligan, who's one of my absolute favourites. Spike Milligan's poetry makes me laugh till I cry. It's so absurd and weird and off the wall. And his writing and his delivery on The Goon Show. I still listen to The Goon Show sometimes. I've got the script book. He's hilarious, but he's very famously struggled a great deal with his mental health. Um, and a similar name, but different attitude, um, Sarah Millican, who Fitz mentioned earlier. Um, she started something on Twitter a few years ago because she recognised that Christmas Day can be an incredibly lonely time for a lot of people. So she started this just chit chat on Christmas Day about, I've just woken up and I'm having my breakfast and I'm going to watch this film later. Really, really just everyday chat. And we, we copied that idea for Recovery Devon last year. We yeah. had a a chat thread just running through the day for people who are perhaps feeling a bit lonely and who Christmas was a difficult time for to uh, to to connect with each other and, and I just love that that idea came from a comedian there was something about the fact that the comedian was opening up about their Christmas day being a bit pants um, that really uh, really spoke to people and helped them to open up. I'm running a couple of classes on the 29th of December between Christmas and New Year one in the morning and one in the afternoon for people just to come and play and write and and get uh, have a bit of fun really for a couple of hours because I don't know Christmas is a funny old time of year isn't it for mental mental health yeah but I think it's a really good point I think Robin Williams was diagnosed with some sort of debilitating disease he was yeah I don't know about you Fitz I think that you know to think that oh you're going to be funny all the time being being funny all the time being on all the time you can't do it because you're only you're going to come down from that and you have to look after yourself when you're not on that big high being down there and looking after yourself in that that downtime you you can't live upon that top of that mountain and what's great about the industry um as as a whole generally uh, is that it's as in i think most walks of life at the moment but it's becoming 
the norm to to talk about these things you know whereas perhaps it hasn't always been that way and um, and the industry is improving greatly as a result of that and as a result of people being open and being friendly and that is because people have got the confidence to share that they've been having a tough time uh, that's led to people like Sarah Millican starting that whole kind of Christmas day thing but that's in turn led to friendships between other people who've never met and would never have even their paths would have never have crossed and um, so yeah I think that having the the lows in terms of the, the the peaks and troughs let's say of you know that adrenaline rush from a from a gig to oh i'm driving home on my own for three hours you know it's natural that the the body and mind kind of wander a little bit so yeah i think that the community kind of spirit if that's the right phrase um of of acts kind of caring about each other and and wanting to know that their friends are, are all right because it's not a job in the sense that you see the same people every day you're in an office or anything like that but it is a job because sometimes you will see a mate or sometimes you will be on the same gig as the same bill as a mate and people being comfortable to talk which is so so important oh fits might actually know the answer to this who won the perrier the other year or last year jordan brooks yeah what was his show about <clears throat> that that's related to that isn't it Sort of mental um, related show, wasn't it? Yeah, very much so. So Jordan yeah, Brooks so. is is um is a is a great kind of surreal comedian. Um off the top of my head, his his show was I've Got Nothing. Um is it Intrusive Thought. Is it might uh, I I forget which one it was that one. He's he's done a few, but he's done a yeah. few kind of different shows, the majority of which is is him hilariously kind of rambling on but ultimately for want of a better phrase seeming to lose the plot on stage and there's quite a few times where he's literally on the floor saying what are you doing here what are you even what is all this about kind of thing but but again in a, in a really kind of funny way he's spoken quite a lot about his kind of mental health and one of my and your brins one of our favorite comedians is um a guy called john robbins who famously did an Edinburgh show a few years ago, who won, uh, he won the award as well, actually, the Edinburgh um, Best Show, with a show called The Darkness of Robins, based entirely on the fact that he'd had a really tough time, lost his partner, lost his house, etc. And and he made a show about it. And it was heartwarming, and it was funny, and it was sad, and, and it won an award. So thank you for, for reminding me of that, Bryn, because that's um, it's a great show and a, a great... Um, a great point to to make that tragic look at that full circle tragedy out of comedy boom <laughs> when john robbins won that award he shared it with um so another comedian called hannah gadsby and her show was called nanette and that's on uh, netflix as well at the moment that covers a lot of very very difficult personal topics uh, it's good but it's very, very hard to watch in sections of it, but that is quite relevant as well, potentially, because she opens up in that one and then she opens up in another one uh, about um, having autism as well. I just, I'm just gasping when you said Hannah Gadsby because I, I watched both of her shows in the net, which, um, as you say, starts as stand-up comedy, but she really brings in some some tragedies from my life I don't want to give spoilers um yeah a lot. about halfway through the show you think I'm not actually where I thought I was going to be I've been taken 
challenge to think about some difficult subjects here and I perhaps wouldn't have signed up for this if I'd known that this is where it was going and then our second show um douglas where she yeah, douglas thank you yeah <laughs> douglas it's that's just so brilliant and being autistic myself i just yeah I love that show for the way that she she says at the start of the show now in the middle of this show i'm going to suddenly disclose that i'm autistic and then <laughs> later on in the show the lights all go down and there's one single spotlight on her and she puts her puts her foot up on a chair and she goes I'm autistic and, <laughs> and even though you knew she was going to do it it's still a surprise it's so clever the way she does it. it's interesting though with comedy isn't it that we're becoming more sort of autobiographical storytelling uh more about points of view there's that Michaela Cole with I made destroy you and Fleabag Phoebe Waller-Bridges whose show started up in in uh, Edinburgh that and that the darkness and the like and, and the comedy intertwining so sometimes you're laughing maybe you shouldn't be laughing or or there's questionables I I absolutely love that comedy where we're really unpacking social issues and people's lives I find that uh, you know and, and people going there with it uh, is because it, it's, it's a real game changer for people to because it resonates with that, that's your story's my story um, and that's such a key part of recovery is storytelling and the impact of everybody having their individual story. But also you can often hear aspects of your own story coming from someone else. And the, the power that gives you to not feel alone um, is quite remarkable. So, uh, yeah, in a lot of my classes, a lot of people, it's, it's about their stories, about their stuff. And it's about how we change what is a potentially dark and sad story and how I how we met then what what strategies do we add into that to now make that funny and you're comfortable with that without losing the essence that this is story this has really happened and that but just giving a different you know again softening the edges making us rethink it and they see time plus tragedy equals comedy is that how we can when we look back and think well yeah. <laughs> I know I love that I, I'm thinking of um uh, I had EMDR treatment once um, and we were looking at, we start off with small traumas and then lead up to big traumas. Um, and one of the small traumas that I was reflecting on just to practice uh, regulating my emotions was just a bit of bullying in the playground when I was at school. So nothing serious, but just a little incident. And we practiced um, replaying that in my mind, but putting a different soundtrack on it. And I put the Benny Hill soundtrack on it and just adding that bit of comedy to this just very silly incident where somebody had laughed at my shoes because they weren't trendy enough you know just really it just took all of the power and the pain out of it and of course you know, that wasn't appropriate for other traumas that we went on to discover but that was just a really nice introduction to how layering comedy on top of something difficult can allow you to just take it a bit less seriously and a bit less personally no i just when you said about EMDR, that's something I've, a treatment I've had as well. And that I just recognised uh, what you just said about that. That was all I was just laughing at. That's all that was. <laughs> Did you have any theme music, Bryn, at all with your EMDR? Uh, you... um, no, because <laughs> no, I... <laughs> listen to too much music in general anyway uh -huh. so I, I i did i i actually soundtracked it with other stuff um well not not if it was music it wasn't music with lyrics i right. soundtrack it with like um just or uh, instrumental music basically or, or i try or, or i turn all the sound down so there was no volume at all so even if if like i had a bullying thing as well 
I I turn it down so I couldn't hear what they were saying, and then I could put words that I want them to say into their mouth. So I, I would do it differently from what you did, but still interesting to see it. It has the same effect. So, Bryn, when did you discover that comedy was helpful for you? I remember being in school sometimes, a couple of times, and some of the teachers asked me because they were talking about favourite TV programmes, and I named a couple of mine, and they were like, "Oh, you shouldn't really be watching that. That's not appropriate for your age group." And I was like, "Well, my parents are happy with me watching it." So. <laughs> I, I don't think it was the the language in it as such. I think it was the because um, it was "Have I got news for you?" I was watching, and I was probably okay. around twelve. I've probably had a bit slightly higher intelligence level than I let on yeah. <laughs> because I, I quite often play up and be a bit stupid mm. but sometimes I, I sometimes I'll say something and they're like I didn't expect you would know that why wouldn't I know that <laughs> yeah it can be quite advantageous can't it to play the fool a little bit I used, yeah. I worked with a guy very very senior guy I won't even say where because I don't want to out him but um he held a very, very senior position of a lot of responsibility with a statutory agency. And, and he was a joker and he played the fool, but he had a mind like a bear trap. It, nothing went past him and he, he sussed everybody out. You know, every meeting he was in full command, but something about him always cracking jokes and uh, talking to everybody from like the cleaning lady up to the chief executive the same yeah. way um yeah just made, made, meant that people underestimated him sometimes they thought he wasn't clever um and the difference between serious and clever two things yeah. don't necessarily go together do they no i watched a lot of comedy programs i used to love watching the fast show when that was on yes and i even now and i'm now 35 i still quote that pretty much every other day <laughs> And not intentionally, it just sort of just slipped into conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a brilliant way to make friends, actually, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I'd go along with the soundtracks of my life of something like um, Always Look on the Bright Side and, um, you know, <laughs> You're Not the Messiah, You're a Very Naughty Boy, uh, would fit some of my <laughs> psychosis experiences. Um, but I, I, I'm kind of thinking of what people can take away and something that I'd perhaps recommend taking away and and that is to just go, go away after this and have a bloody good laugh go on um and, and it might not be a comedian it might it might be that you just want to read something funny or just or just um uh, you know listen to something funny uh, online or whatever uh, and I'm, one thing i wanted to make a point of is to say that if you can't find anything to make you laugh and let's face it there's plenty out there uh, one of the principles of laughter yoga, and there are some YouTube videos on this, one of the principles is that even if you kind of feign laughter, so make yourself laugh, um, that has exactly the same effect as sort of natural laughter. So, so if you force yourself to laugh, you get all the same uh, endorphins, the same emotions. So, so. Um, what I'd recommend is go out there and find something to make you laugh because it, it's, it, it's, it, there's a lot of funny stuff out there and it makes you feel good. But even if you can't find something to make you laugh, just have a good chuckle to yourself. You know, kind of bring it on yourself because you'll feel better as a result. And that would be my one bit of advice uh, following this. In fact, um, a number of years ago, uh, a friend of mine and I were, were sparring off each other. You know, sometimes when you do, when you're a, a little bit manic, she was a bit high as well. 
uh, elevated, I suppose. And um, we were talking about acronyms, and I, I was always a bit frustrated with the number of acronyms that where they kind of designed the word and then made the made the words fit. You know, so like I, I worked on a project once that was called Hope: Holistic Opportunities for Progressive Enterprise. Now they'd obviously thought of hope, wanted to call that, and then made it fit. I came up at this point with um, um, the complete recovery action plan uh, as, a antidote, <laughs> as an antidote to the Um and you, you can guess what it's for days when you feel like shit, really. But um, but that that was that, and I made it made it a whole page full of um, funny acronyms. So so just go and find something that makes you funny, or write something funny yourself, or just make yourself laugh. But um, you'll feel better as a, as a result. I promise. I keep a um, a bookmark of uh, internet uh, sites that really really make me laugh because, um, conversely, it's an early warning sign for me that my mental health is starting to to fail. Um, if I haven't laughed for a few days in a row, and sometimes I sort of I test that out and think, has my sense of humour completely deserted me? Do I need to start worrying about myself by visiting these bookmarks? And they're they're tough things. They're like silly cats doing stupid things and. Um, a favourite site is called Cake Rex, where people have uh, ordered cakes and asked for messages on them and the messages come out wrong. So you get things like congratulations in purple written on a cake because somebody's phoned up and said, can you write congratulations in purple? And they've written the sentence. So, yeah. <laughs> so book, a bookmark with... Uh, um, That's a really good idea. Make you laugh can be, <laughs> can be a good test for how you're feeling. If you've um, if you've ever seen or never seen terrible um, estate agents photos, that's worth a look as well because some of them are just phenomenal. You think someone's actually gone in there; their one job is to to take a photo of this property to try and sell it. Oh man, I'm laughing thinking about it. Thank oh, you. For that. Terrible estate agent <laughs> photos. I love it. I'm going to go bookmark that straight after this. Thank yeah, you. That's very book, good. There's a book called The Funny Things You Never Said. It's massive. It's a big fat really big fat book with lots of different sections on every topic in with loads and loads and loads of different comedians well i've, I've always found because i've got um, a vast uh, selection of stand-up dvds depending on what mood i'm actually in i will watch certain people if i'm if i think i'm in a certain mood i might put one on there and go, no i really don't fancy that i fancy something a bit more stupid bit more yeah. silly take that out put that one in oh that's more like it so that's it just literally but i can still appreciate the fact that the other ones are funny mm -hmm. but i i might not be in the mood for something a bit more light-hearted or sometimes a little bit deeper a little bit more subtle there's so many different types and different ways of performing it and it, it changes day to day really yeah so you can have an eclectic taste in music and comedy it just helps me keep my mind from slipping into places where i rather it wouldn't go <laughs> or you know it's places where it has been before and i've thought of a lot to get out of those places and humor helps keep me out of it yeah because uh, that's something i wanted to say there's a difference between laughing at something someone says or does when they're deliberately trying to be funny and laughing at them there's yeah. a big difference in that. Yeah. If, that, if the individual wants to make fun of themselves, that's fine, but they, they have the right to do that, but no one should have the right to mock the other person for something. Yeah. It's all about who's included in the joke, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Bryn, what inspired you to sign up for this comedy course and have a go yourself? Was there anything in particular? One of Frank Skinner's 
biographies or autobiographies, can't remember whether he wrote it himself. Uh, there's a story he tells in there, and Frank Skinner was always very open about the fact that he struggled with drinking uh, alcohol. And he stopped in his late 20s, 28, I believe, and he was having a conversation with an elderly gentleman in a pub somewhere in Birmingham. And they were talking about regret. And uh, the elderly guy just said, oh, you're very funny, Frank. And he went, oh, thank you very much. And he went, have you ever thought about performing? And he said, oh, yeah, it's always something I've really wanted to do. And the elderly guy just went, well, you're going to have to stop drinking because that will hinder you. <laughs> and he, he went, oh, OK. And the 70-year-old 70, 70 guy went, you don't want to live your life with regret. So I think within about 18 months, he'd won the Perrier uh, Comedy Award in Edinburgh. And he, he quotes that, he, he thanks that old guy in his book for giving him the self-belief to try. Wow. So before we go, um, I just want to say a really big thank you to Bryn for putting this all together for us. Um, Thank thanks, James, for being with us. And I just would invite both of our uh, professional comedians to maybe sign off and say, where can we find you? Where can we hear more from you? So I run comedy events under the name Fits of Giggles, F-I-T-Z of Giggles. And a little bit inactive just at the moment, obviously, what with um, the the world as, as it is currently as we're recording. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm on Facebook, Daniel Fitzhenry, comedian. Um, in terms of kind of sharing funny stuff, I always try and share funny things if I find it. And um, always happy to share kind of podcast recommendations and things. There's a lot out there that's, that's, that's certainly really helped me. So, yeah. And thank you for having me, by the way. It's been a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Fitz. How about yeah. you, Maggie? Where do we Thank find you? you? Me, um, it's, uh, great uh, having a chat with you all uh, about favourite topics of humour. Um, yeah, so it's drmaggieirving.blogspot.com. So you find me if you want to know everything about what I do or my classes. Like similarly with uh, Fitz, I, I post on Maggie Irving on my Facebook, trying to keep the laughter rolling around and uh, yeah, keep, keep raising spirits. That's, that's what it's all about. But yeah, I've had a great time. Thank you. Thank you. Raising spirits. That's what it's all about. It's a lovely note to end on. And I've now got the lovely job of going and chasing up all of these links to add them to the podcast. I'm going to start with the bad estate agent photos. I can't wait to see those. <laughs> so much. Thanks, everyone. See you again Thank soon. Thank you very Bye. much, all. Take care. Thank you for listening. If you have ideas which explore mental health directly or in imaginative ways, perhaps you'd like to create our next podcast. If you don't know how or don't have any equipment for recording, we'll do what we can to help. Simply contact us. Our email is community at recoverydevon.co.uk. Recovery Devon is a community interest company supported by the Devon Partnership Trust.